Uh, any grown-ups have questions? Is there anything they want to talk about? All right, so we're at an awkward point where um, this will be our last one until Advent's over. Um, we're going to go into Thanksgiving service, and then Advent midweeks will start up into Christmas. And so, uh, yeah, we'll see you in the new year after this. Um, but we're talking about um, the, the divine service, and uh, we're kind of starting to actually look at the rite of uh, comfort, or confession, excuse me. Um, so I, I figure probably the best place to start is just page 184 um, of your hymnal. We're going to look at uh, confession and absolution um, in divine service setting three. Again, page 184 of our hymnal. And so we'll start with the confessions of sin. And uh, we have two columns here. Did you notice that? And they work actually a little bit different. We really only use one of them. Um, but we'll kind of talk about both columns and where they differ and uh, maybe why we approach it the way that we do. Uh, so let's start with the one we're comfortable with. Almighty God, merciful Father. And then all the congregation says, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful unto me, a poor, sinful being. And then your pastor says, Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto you, and therefore, in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, even as we start to, to look through that, before we pick it apart, let's, let's contrast it to the other one that we don't really use. Um, altogether, the congregation would say, Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Wherefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most merciful God, who has given your only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake grant us remission of all our sins, and by your Holy Spirit increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will and true obedience to your word, to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us and has given his only Son to die for us and for his sake forgives us all our sins. To those who believe on his name, he gives the power to become the children of God and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, Lord, unto us all. Amen. Notice any differences between them. What's different? Mm -hmm. And the second one, we don't, your pastor doesn't say, he doesn't say, I called an ordained servant of the Lord. What else doesn't he say? Forgive you. There's no actual proclamation of, of absolution in the other one. It's just sort of a, a general discussion of why sins would be forgiven. Um, what's the difference between a cookie and a cookie for you? and a cookie for you, it, it, well, I can tell you, they make Krispy Kreme donuts every morning, and they're delicious. They're better than Dunkin' Donuts. They're, they're, they're amazing. They don't even need all those fancy sprinkles and stuff. It's, it's, it's an amazing piece of heart attack that's just a perfect circle right there, and they make it fresh every morning, but there's no Krispy Kreme around here. Every once in a while, you can get through like a fundraiser or something, but those weren't made every morning. There is a difference between it being there for you and just hearing about it. There, there truly is. 
Um, the reason then that, that we, we talk about this the way that we do, um, when, we, when we talk about confession and absolution, um, well, why are, why are you ever troubled by sin? Because it hurts us, and it hurts other people. Very good, dude. Um, and so you know you're baptized, though, right, Zeke? You know that Jesus forgives you, right? Does it still bother you to, to do bad things, though? Yeah. Even though we know who we are in, in Christ, sin still does bring guilt and shame. And, and so what we actually want to do, then, is address that head on. Um, in our parish, um, we absolve sin. Because I, I figure if, if it bothers you enough that you'd bring it to me, well, since it's right there, what should we do with it? We can't. And so we have to hang it on the cross where Jesus died for it. And so to do that, we say, well, your pastor says, in the stat and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit which is language that makes some people uncomfortable. What part of that would make people uncomfortable? Right. I mean, doesn't it, after all, say in the scripture, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who says that, by the way? No. The Pharisees. And that's a big difference. If you're going to quote that, uh, the, um, that who can forgive sins but God alone, understand that that's the Pharisees confronting Jesus. Um, because they don't think that the man God Christ Jesus can forgive sins. Are they wrong? Yes. Can Jesus forgive sins? Let's start there. Can Jesus forgive sins? Well, just as surely as he can say, rise, take up your bed and walk, he can most certainly forgive your sins. Um, he bears them on the cross. So then the question is... Um, because we recognize very clearly there's a difference between me and the perfect, sinless Jesus Christ, right? Why should I say it? Yeah, we start right there. We're not going to base this on my morality, on, on my um, ability to uphold the law on my own. Even on, on just the fact, I, I, I've studied this longer, because in this room I haven't. <laughs> I am a called and ordained servant of the word, which means I was sent to say these words. And we've kind of talked about this before. It's been a while. But my little sister, every once in a while, would be ordained. She would be sent by my mom to collect me for dinner. And she would go. She was ordained. She was elected for this purpose and this purpose only. For this, these words, go outside, go to your brother, and say, it's time to come in for dinner. She was speaking in the stead and by the command of mom. We do this in the world all the time. And it's, it's not quite so appalling there. Um, what's really cool, because we, we always bicker whether or not men can forgive sins. The really cool part is we recognize then that those words must have power if we're going to bicker about who can speak them. There is something about I forgive you all your sins. That's a recognition that, that I mean, not only that there is a need, but there is a, a, an answer, a grace. Are you kind of with me here? The reason then that we, we go directly to this one is because this is the practice of our church, that, that um, our, our primary, um, by no means our soul, but our primary use of um, confession is corporate. Um, what's the other one that we, we have? Private. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but because this is kind of the primary way that we do things, we want to make sure that it actually gets done. So if you, you bring your sins into Jesus, they get forgiven as Jesus would have it done through his church. Um, the other column is by and large set up uh, for churches that have kind of switched it around where private confession was actually supposed to be the, the primary way that uh, this was done. Um, either through your pastor sitting specific hours or through you dressing him as, as you need. Um, and that's, that's okay, too. That's good. That's wonderful. Um, and quite frankly, that's how it was until probably, I mean, commonly the 1800s. Um, up until that, um, confession and absolution wasn't actually a part of the divine service. Corporate confession was a pretty new thing. Like, Walter really wrestled with it. 
uh, when the Missouri Synod started. Um, because churches started getting bigger than, than it could be realistically handled um, by, by uh, the pastors on staff. And so they, they started doing this uh, collectively. Um, it doesn't mean that it's bad, um, but at, at the same time, um, what we do is we recognize then, if this is going to be a, a place where sins are brought into Jesus, what, what should we do with them? We should forgive them. Are you kind of with me on this? You have questions so far? This is our catechism, by the way, too. What is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness, from the pastor as from God himself. Not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. So that's how we're supposed to deal with confession. Is the second column confession, then? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. Is that in there? Oh, how come? There's only a corporate we. And that's a different thing, too. I'm really, really good at confessing other people's sins. But we, we have a rule in our house. Zeke, what do snitches get? Snitches? Right. Um, that's called tattling. Um, confessing other people's sins is called tattling. Um, you're not here to confess other people's sins. You're here to confess your sins. Yeah, we're actually, I mean, ultimately, yes, we're here to confess Jesus. Um, we're, we're here to, to find the cross of Christ for, for the remission of, of our sins. And so I, I recognize that we collectively are sinners. But there's this thing that we tend to like to do. Um, we make these things very generic. Because, like, I, I recognize that I am a poor, miserable sinner. But it's even harder to say then, instead of I, a poor, miserable sinner, I, a poor, miserable sinner, broke the sixth commandment, or broke the fourth commandment, or broke the first commandment. The more specific you get, the harder it is to make. And that's about as general as you can make. We are all sinners. We have sinned by thought, word, and deed, collectively. So yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, if it is to be a confession, I mean, yes, we are all sinners. And yes, Jesus did die for all of us. But I don't know that I confessed my sins in that. Like, I kind of did. I, I'm, I'm willing to say it counts as, as but it, it's certainly probably not the best way to do it. But confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution from the pastor as from God himself. You see that in the second column. Yeah, there is no absolution there. And so that, whatever that is, that, that's not actually confession absolution. That's something that would stand as a marker to recognize that when you go to confession and absolution with your pastor privately... It's because of the cross of Christ that all of these things are possible. This wasn't put in there as a, as a shortcut or as a um, um, sort of a hedging your bets or you know trying to, to please all sides. This was put in there with the purpose um, of uh, making sure that as we do go to private confession, we recognize the source of the forgiveness of our sins is only Christ who is crucified for us. Um, but I figure since you're here, yeah, I might as well absolve them. And so yeah, I have a hard time calling the second column true confession and absolution, at least by what our catechism has taught us. You kind of with me there? Any questions so far? We do one more commonly here. We do setting one um, fairly frequently, too. Let's go to page 151. We'll do the same thing. Page 151, let us confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will, 
and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. All right. You notice something right away that we just got done talking about? It's all plural. And they've tried to mitigate that by doing what? Because, right, it is all plural. But at the same time, is there a more specific confession then that, that tries to address the fact that I'm not confessing other people's sins. I'm going through all the places where I have, I am a part of we. I still think I is probably better than we when it comes to confession. But yeah. And then we again have two columns. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Or, in the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us and for his sake. God forgives us all our sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them his Holy Spirit. May the Lord, who has begun this good work in us, bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, what's, what's missing? The absolution. So in, uh, in this one, there's, there's a recognition in both of these, in setting one and setting three, if you wanted to kind of flip between them. Um, both of those end with the idea that, um, will everybody have their sins forgiven? to those who believe. There was a fear, a, a genuine fear, when um, corporate confession started, and, and it's still talked about today, um, that impenitent people would hear this absolution and think that their sins are, are just fine. In other words, if, if there is no faith in you, does hearing the absolution do any good for you? No. Um, I, it just, it doesn't. You, you know why? Well, because I can also say, in the stead and by the command of a unicorn, I forgive you all your sins. Does that do anything? No. We say then, faith is what saves us, right? Faith is what apprehends the absolution. Faith is what receives from Jesus. And so, um, the, the second one is, is um, pushing towards individual confession and absolution because it, it recognizes that this is something that, that is received by an, an, an individual faith. Um, and it, it's, it's something to at least be cognizant of. Um, they tried to uh, address it as they went forward by the recognition then that in both confessions, um, is there a recognition then that, that it's, it's fine to continue in sin because you're, you're, gonna, you're about to forgive it? No. No. It says, we want to do better. It says, let us walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. It's a recognition that, not that the absolution is contingent on you quitting, not that the absolution is contingent on you being a better person afterwards, but that if you really don't like it, then say you don't like it enough that you're willing to say you won't like it being done in the future. I'm not saying that you'll never fall back into sin, but I'm saying that you should battle with it. Romans 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Uh, what shall we say? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Um, how can we who die to sin still live in it? For you do not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And we are buried therefore with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may have newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's take that backwards. Why do we get united with the re united in the resurrection? Why are we raised up? Because we have died with Christ. Because we are baptized. Not because we have abstained from sin, but because we are baptized. That is the source of the abstinence from sin. That is the source of the new life that would dare to try and live free from it. And Romans 6 goes on to Romans 7 where we wrestle with sin. But the recognition then that, that um, this is one of the major distinctions between um, confession absolution and Roman rites of penance is that um, absolution for us is free. It's paid for by Christ who died for you on the cross. It's not paid for you by, uh, paid for by you by making up for it somehow, being a better person, never doing it again, or the absolution is null and void. The absolution has power because Jesus died. And so, are all your sins forgiven? Yes. Because of this, 
Should we recognize that they were bad enough that Jesus had to die on the cross? Maybe we shouldn't just run right back to him if possible. The, the idea that we would want to do better, that goes hand in hand, not with just sort of calling sin bad, but with calling God good. Are you kind of with me here? So we talk about repentance, and um, every once in a while there's somebody who saw just a little bit of Greek and recognized that um, the word turn is in repentance, metanoia, um, that, that we would turn. Um, and so they always say turn away from sin, but it's not turn away from sin so much as it is turn towards the Lord. Because you can be an atheist and turn away from immorality. You truly can. You, you can just say, look, um, I, I go to an AA meeting, go to an NA meeting, and the first thing that they'll say is, I have a problem that needs to be fixed. I'm an addict. You don't need the triune God as your higher power to say, it's bad for me to drink too much, and then everything that follows. It's bad for me to, 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 to use these drugs that have wrecked my life so much. Um, you can turn away from bad things without God. Repentance isn't just turning away from bad things. It's turning toward God. And so, yes, there is a turning away from bad things, but the thing that actually matters is the turning toward God. Confession and absolution doesn't start on your pledge to quit, but on your begging God for mercy. It has to. Because there's no remission of sins in quitting something. I mean, otherwise, everybody who quits smoking would no longer get cancer. And, like, I'm not being trite. What's cancer? Cancer's getting really sick. That's no good. Um, the simple making the choice to stop something usually doesn't unring the bell. Going to God in mercy, that's enough to, to actually bring about absolution. And yes, if we go to God, we go away from sin. But the primary thing about confession is ultimately this. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, a poor sinful being. Good. Are you kind of with me on this? Yeah. Do you have questions or, or comments on these things? Comments? You saw something that you want to talk about. You saw something cool and you understand something. So, it should be. Um, because, again, called and ordained. And, and so, lay ministry is a funny thing that um, we, we've sort of normalized it to the point that um, we're willing to call it normal, even though it's not normal and it's, it's not talked about as a good thing. Um, Lay ministry is, is um, well, what is it? Like, it, well, and I don't want to say just like pretending to be the pastor. Sometimes it, it just is a flat, somebody pretending to be the pastor. But to put the best construction on things, it, it's somebody who hasn't been rightly called by the church. Um, but they're very much trying to serve God's people. They're very much trying to um, lead a church. They're very much trying to, to um, order themselves inside of this. Um, the, the two questions come um, first by our Lutheran confessions, say in our Augsburg confession, nobody should be doing these things without a rightly ordered call. You know why? Because without the call, it's on me. Without the call, it's on them. And I don't particularly think that I, I mean, I know me just a little. I know for a fact I'm not holy enough to do this. I know for a fact I'm not smart enough to do this. And, and you all know for a fact, too, that um, this thing, if it rested on my back, would be a problem. Um, I don't want this on me. I want this on God, where it belongs. Um, and so part of this has to do with the sending. The sending matters. Um, the authority matters. Um, not because um, we could lord it over people and boss folks around, but so that you might have some sort of idea that it works, um, which is why um, if you're in Target and you're lost and you really need to find something, what color shirt should you ask somebody for a question? What if they're wearing a blue shirt? Would you ask them? I mean, they might know. They might also not know. But if they have a red shirt, they've been put there, sent there to help. Um, we teach our children this too. If you're lost, go to a police officer. They're sent there to help you. Don't just go to any stranger. Especially don't go to any stranger. Why? It could be dangerous. It could be dangerous. Um, and so we, in the same way, um, I mean, when we absolve, Dad, can I have we some wear these. Water? Yeah, you can have some water, honey. Um, and we're also sent. And so we, we base the absolution then um, so much so that I'm not willing to absolve without reminding you where it comes from. Because if this is on me, it does no good to you. 
You gotta, it's open, honey. You just gotta tip, tip it way up. There you go. There you go, like a hamster. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, that's slobbery. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I won't just say, I forgive you all your sins. I say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're redundant on that for, for a purpose. Um, and so, um, actually, I always thought that this was put in place for lay ministry. Um, we actually got to go out to Ainsworth this last year, and uh, Dr. Winger, who was on the hymnal committee, was there. And he defended that, and he said, no, I was, I was there. As we put this in, we put this in for the understanding that churches should be actually practicing private confession on a regular basis, and this gives them the option to, to kind of push that route. Um, because if you're going to stick this in lay ministry, you got to recognize that, I mean, that, that would be an appropriate way to, to do it. Um, but at the same time, you got to stop with the divine service really, really quick afterwards because he can't preach. I mean, that's how it's been, I'm just, that's how it's been practiced in a lot of cases. Um, but at the same time, um, like I said, it, it's, it's sort of a question of our scriptures. Um, to, to Timothy, uh, Paul writes, be careful, pay special attention to the public reading of the scriptures that was given to you with the laying on of hands. Which means even as you get to the reading of the scriptures, should there be lay readers in the church? I mean, Paul tells Timothy, this was given to you with the laying on of hands so that you would pay careful attention to it, not so that you would have somebody else do it. And that doesn't mean that you guys aren't literate. Of course you're literate. Of course you can read the scriptures. And, and you know what? In your homes, should you read the scriptures? But in the public reading, we, we say this, at least according to Paul, was given to the clergy. And it's not because they're better anymore than absolution is because they're better. It's because they were sent. The sending has everything to do with it. I don't think that the people who work at Target are necessarily better than me either, but they sure know what they're doing. And that expertise matters. Um, if you really actually want to shift the gears, when I go to the hardware store and I literally have no idea what I'm doing, and I say, hey, would you help me out? This is kind of what I want. I trust your expertise because I recognize full well I don't know what I'm doing. When I go to the doctor, I trust the doctor and the nurse because this is not something I have, I have expertise in. Um, the sending, though, is a recognition. This is somebody who was sent who is rightly ordered to, to, to know these things and, and to, to be trained in these things, but, but to do these things on behalf of God. So I, I recognize that, yeah, that this has been sort of something that our synod has battled with. Um, and a lot of that happens um, as we sort of um, normalized emergency situations. And so what we said is like, well, um, what if I throw my back out Saturday night? And I call up our head elder and I say, you know what, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not going to be able to stand it tomorrow, literally not stand. Um, I'm sorry, what do we do? Which has happened. Not, not me, but um, to you though. And so um, we say, all right, that's an emergency. What do we do? Do we just say, all right, like, let's just sort of pretend that Phil's pastor today? Or do we do something else recognizing that, that this is obviously a, a, not a great situation. It's not going to be normal. But at the same time, everybody's here. So can we hear the word of God? And so we, we'll maybe have a reading from the catechism, um, maybe a scripture reading. Um, but but it, it'll be done inside of like a, a, not a divine service, but maybe like a responsive prayer to or something like that, where um, it, it's given for families. Or even Vespers. Matins and Vespers are given for families. Um, they're for home use. Um, e even our hymnal marks this, because if you'll look, there's a P, and sometimes there's an L, which means leader, like dad. Um, where there's a P, the only person who really probably should be saying that is pastor. Um, whereas if we were to hop over to morning prayer or Vespers, well, morning prayer on page 235. On page 235, it's not a P, it's an L. Oh, Lord, open my lips. And then the rest of the family can go on. And that's good. That's wonderful. It's not to say that the only, play, the only people who should touch a Bible are clergy. No. But, but it's to say that inside of the divine service, 
there's really never been. What we tend to do, though, in our synod um, is, is um, honestly, we, we sort of say that everything that I don't want to do is an emergency, that we, we sort of conflate inconvenience with emergency. Um, in other words, you guys might have to actually change your divine service time if I'm on vacation. That's an emergency. Let's just have somebody else do it. No, that's, that's an inconvenience, but um, an emergency, I think, might dictate something else. And emergencies probably also shouldn't happen for five years straight, ten years straight. Um, and so we've actually, at the last convention, um, passed a resolution to pretty well do away with lay ministry that every lay minister should actually start to take as many classes as we can get them. And it's not a perfect world. They won't get them all to a four-year seminary program, but then ordain them so that they can speak these words with the full assurance that God actually wants to back them up. Because that's honestly the thing that really matters here. Um, Y'all can say, I forgive you your speeding ticket in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How much confidence do you have that it's going to work? I have none that it would work for me, even though I don't want to pay the thing, and I don't want you to have to either. This is about confidence. This is about assurance. This is about certainty. Everything that we do in the divine service has to move towards this certainty. Did it actually work? And when you put it on me, it, there's no real certainty. Or at least until there's only certainty insofar as you don't know that I'm a sinner. And that lasted, like, what, a week here, maybe? I mean, how long before you kind of figured that one out? Um, now... It has to rest on God. And so everything that we do here is to chase away uncertainty. Um, and so we'll do this without the rest of the, or I mean throughout the rest of the, the study with the service too. Um, could you hypothetically, um, after the body and blood is instituted, just like sort of hand it out to you guys and have you guys go visit the shut-ins because I'm really, really busy doing important pastor things like meetings. I mean, it, it's, it was instituted. But, like, you see where doubt starts to creep in by the time somebody else gets it? Was this ever blessed? So maybe Pastor ought to just go actually institute the supper for them so they can see it. And, and no, this is what it is because Christ our Lord said, this is my body. Everything that we're doing is, is chasing down certainty. It's not that we're trying to be mean. It's not that we're trying to be exclusive. It's absolutely not that we're trying to be arrogant um, because your pastor just got... It, it, it's... It's recognizing that if this is going to stand, it better stand on God's promise. So let's fall back on everywhere we can. He is sending the promise. He is, he is working the certainty. Are you kind of with me here? Yeah. Any questions or, or comments there too? That was good. Let's flip over to individual then. Page 292. Page 292 of the hymnal for individual confession and absolution. We're going to walk through this one because it's real short. Um, Y'all start this one. Pastor, please hear my confession and pronounce forgiveness in order to fulfill God's will. Proceed. I, a poor, miserable sinner, plead guilty before God of all sins. I have lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. My Lord's name I have not honored as I should. My worship and prayers have faltered. I have not let his love have its way with me, and so my love for others has failed. There are those whom I have hurt and those whom I have failed to help. My thoughts and desires are soiled with sin. Pause. So, remember, we talked about the difference between a rite and a ceremony. The rite is the, the ritual. It's just we do the, thing, we do the things in red and we say the things in black. And so, if you wish, does that mean you have to? No, if you wish to confess specific sins that trouble you, continue as follows. If you wish to confess specific sins that bother you. Um, which, which means, first of all, if you're talking to your pastor privately about confession, or um, about sins, is there probably at least one that's really bothering you? You know what doesn't actually work all that well? Avoiding the topic of conversation. Like, that's just called awkward Thanksgiving dinner. I know when my family comes, there are certain things I just better not talk about. We'll all know about it, but let's, let's all let it go unsaid. And that'll somehow fix the problem, right? No. It might be kind of the, we don't have to actually talk about it comfort, but that comfort is actually pretty full of anxiety. And so this is just saying, look, you're here for a reason. If you really want to say it, just say it. 
And if you don't, that's okay. If you never, ever, ever enumerate a sin. If, and if you choose to say that, you would say, what troubles me particularly is that. And then you confess whatever you've done against the commandments of God according to your own place in life. The pastor may gently question or instruct you not to pry or judge, but to assist in self-examination. What guides us as we confess our sins? The Ten Commandments. And we recognize that, and even as we went through that confession, that's the things I should have done but didn't, the things that I did do but shouldn't have, the things that I've thought, the things that keep me up at night because I recognize where God's law has been broken. And if you never ever actually list them, that's okay. Either way, you would conclude with, I am sorry for all of this and ask for grace. I want to do better. God be merciful to you and strengthen your faith, says your pastor. And then you say, amen. And then just this, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Yes. Let it be done for you as you believe. The pastor places his hand on the head of the penitent and says, In the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is that particularly different from corporate confession? Do you know what the biggest difference between private confession and public confession is? How many people are in the room? That is really it. It's the idea that, that God doesn't only work an hour a week on Sundays. There's private confession because if you feel like garbage on a Tuesday, God does not say, I only really want to help you out on Sunday, so just stew in it for, for the, the rest of the week. Instead, he says, call your pastor because your pastor is just itching to speak these words to you, that you can have that grace anytime. And if you never, ever, ever go to private confession, can you still be a Christian? Yes. Yeah. But this is just a recognition. This is the exact same absolution that comes on Sunday morning. It's just, you can have it anytime you want. In the same way that when you're going into a surgery, do we try to have communion? Do we definitely pray? It's not Sunday though. Well, no, but I, I, I'm kind of got a thing going on here. And so I, I just, I need a little bit of extra comfort. I need a little bit of extra certainty. And so that's what this is there for. Um, is there anything that bothers you in private confession? A confession, a saying something that's true. That's what confession means. It means saying something that's true. So when we confess our sins, we tell the truth about how, how we behaved. That can be embarrassing in situations where you may not want to right. say out loud what you've actually done. Right. It, it can be embarrassing. And so again, if you never enumerate your sins, that's okay. But you know that when I was ordained, I promised never to disclose anything that happened in confession. You know why? Not just because it's between the sinner and God. More. Because it's forgiven. And if it's forgiven, it doesn't exist anymore. It's left at the cross. As far as the east is from the west, so will I separate your sins from you. Is that a Bible passage? So that means if I say to anyone they did this, I'm lying, according to God. If it didn't exist before God, I have no right to talk about it. We also, we also recognize um, that that goes forward even as far as courts of law. Like... I can't be compelled to testify from what I hear. Um, but again, if you never want to enumerate it, that's okay. It, it, it really is. Sometimes it, it actually does make you feel better to say the thing that everybody's thinking anyway. Just get it out there. Then you can go forward under the... Because you know what you get to hear after that. It's not just now that I said it, everybody knows. It's now that I said it, I heard that specific thing is forgiven. The time that, that I, I stole and I lost so much sleep because I cannot let go of that fact, I heard that is forgiven. Not everything, but that. Because at the end of the day, um, I, I don't want to sort of hear a generality of, of um, weighing the scales. Um, I, I really, really upset my wife. And so I know that, you know, she's promised to put up with me until death do us part. And so I actually want to know that she loves me enough to forgive me that sin so that I can actually get past the shame and the guilt. If you never enumerate a sin, cool, don't. But if it's bothering you that much, understand that, first of all, um, I'm pretty bored with all your sins. That's a long, long time, but I've heard them all, one through ten. It, it's going to be really, really hard to shock me at this point. Um, and, and, and two, I, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to forgive you. So it's not mine to pry. It's not mine to judge. It's not mine to say this is gross or, or dirty or, or you, you should. 
It's mine to say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but again, if, it, if, if it's that that's keeping you from it, I would say don't enumerate it. But still, hear the absolution. Because the absolution isn't contingent on you saying it. God knows it. It's contingent on, on God sending his son to die on the cross and then sending his Holy Spirit to speak these words of peace to you. What else might bug you about confession absolution? Private confession absolution, I should say. All right, good. Um, and again, just a recognition. Like, ideally, this is done with a stole on in front of your pastor. But I'll readily admit, I've absolved sins over text message. I've absolved sins over the phone. I've absolved sins, you know, not wearing a stole, but in person. Um, you know why? Because those things, they, they yield. Uh, they, they, they push towards that, that certainty. They say, all right, remember, the stole. That, that means this guy's a pastor. But at the same time, it's my job to forgive your sins, so if you confess to me, I'm going to absolve you, even if you didn't mean to. Um, it, it's, it's mine to forgive your sins. Private confession is really just this. It, it's, it's the idea that God's not going to make you wait till Sunday. And so if you've ever taken private communion because you're about to go to a surgery, you've also taken private confession. Because you know what we did there before we took communion? Had confession. How many people were there? Just you and me. We had private confession. Not that I tried to trick you into it. It's just that it's the same thing that we do on Sunday. It really is. Are you kind of with me there? All right, so we, we talk about this in light of God's law. Um, and we kind of have to. Um, because there's, there's, that's the only way that we recognize that there's sins to confess with the law. In other words, um, when I want to recognize whether or not I ought to confess my sins, I don't just sort of say, do I feel bad about it? Because first of all, there's plenty of things I know full well God says are wrong that I don't feel bad about. So instead of just saying, do I feel bad about this? Um, I say, does God call this harmful to me or my neighbor? Does God call this sin? If so, then it, we, we bring it to confession. Um, because if you just want to wait until you feel bad about it, um, honestly, you'll, you'll hurt a lot of people around you. Um, watch two kids arguing about whose fault it is. They don't feel bad or moved to confession. Grown-ups are really not all that different. Um, but the other thing that we have to, to address before we would ever dare confess our sins is not just the law, but also the... It has to be the gospel. And I'll, I'll show you why. We've done this a few times. But let's go Genesis chapter 3, 6 to 10. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. reads, Saul, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called on the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, um, all law, no gospel, makes us do what from God? Hide and blame each other. It's, it's, it's what we do. If the wages of sin is death, why are you going to own up to the thing that brings death? The only people who confess their sins are the ones who actually hope for forgiveness, for salvation, for absolution. It's not just the law that moves us to confession. In fact, it can't be. The law makes me aware that there's something wrong. But that really just makes me want to hide or blame other people around me. And that's contagious, by the way. Where did Eve learn how to blame other people? Yeah. Who started that? That's his fault. Adam's fault. The man's fault. Our fault. God said, did you do this? And he takes his wife, who he's sworn to protect, and he throws her right under the bus. 
shameful stuff. And so you know what, though? She learned from it. And so as soon as God turns to her, instead of looking for gospel, she tries to do it by the law. It's his fault, the serpent's fault. Definitely don't blame me, only blame the serpent. He tricked me. If you want to do this from the law, well, okay, Eve's pretty content to blame the serpent, but is she any less ashamed in hiding in the garden wearing leaves? She doesn't actually feel any better just blaming other people. Funny how that works. The law alone will never make you feel better. But confession and absolution isn't just law. It isn't just feel bad. It's in fact primarily gospel. Because you would never dare confess your sins unless you actually hoped for mercy. Why would you say I poor miserable sinner unless you expected to hear in the stead by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You wouldn't. So let's, I mean, put this into practice. And why would we honestly deny committing some of our sins? Yeah, why do we? Why do we deny committing sins? How do we do it? I, I mean, it's, it's easy to blame other people. Like, he started it, which, which is just a, a nice common thing that I've never really outgrown from being three years old. Um, I like to blame the situation too, though. Like, that way nobody has to feel bad. Like, I really only stole the bread to feed my stomach. I stole. The real problem is that my family's starving, and I'm addressing the real problem. And no, I'm not saying it's perfect to steal to feed your farm. That the, it's worse to have a starving family than it is to steal. I'm blaming the situation. I love to blame the situation. What else do we do? Good. We, we'd rather not admit that it's a sin at all. Um, what's the Ten Commandments for there? To show us our sin, even when we would blame other people, it's a sin. Even when the situation called for nothing, like left no other out, it's a sin. Was it a sin when I skipped church so that Zeke could be born to the hospital? Yeah, it was a sin. Is it a sin that Jesus forgives? That's why we deal it this way. Instead of blaming excuses, denial, we just throw the whole thing on the cross where God already died for it. So you don't have to. Because it's way, way harder to come up with excuses than it is to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Under the light of the fact that Jesus already died for you, that is over and above the easier way to do it. And besides, when we do all these things, well, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin... If we say we have no sin, we deceive our But if we confess our sin, he is gracious and merciful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. Um, when, when we want to, to put this whole thing on, on sort of our excuses, well, we make God a liar. Who's smarter, you or God? Why did he die on the cross if it's not such a big deal? If you, then you have to say, well, he died for other people. And that's probably the darkest thing you can end up saying. He died for me. And that's great that he died for me. Because that means that I can just say, my sins are forgiven me. Your sins are forgiven you. There is no more guilt. There is no more condemnation. He is gracious and merciful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You kind of with me there? Any questions? Concerns? All right, let's go, I think it's Matthew 5, 29 and 30 that I want to look at. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. We'll do this real quick. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. No, that's not it. Stay there, but uh, I'll come back. Um, so, um, in John chapter 20, Jesus shows up to the disciples hiding in the locked room and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, it is forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So along with the, the absolving key, um, also comes the, the binding key. 
If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What does this mean? What do we call this? Excommunication. What's excommunication? where the pastor on behalf of the church says what you're doing right now is is so dangerous that I don't know that you want to take the Lord's Supper until we can actually talk about this honestly this is not for sin but for unbelief in other words there's a difference between saying pastor this this I did and it was sin and Lord be merciful to me a sinner and pastor what we're talking about is not a big deal it's not wrong or it's not wrong in this situation that's called unbelief I do not believe this to be problem if the ten commandments clearly say that it is we what we say then is all right not because we want to kick you out but because we actually want to see you recognize that this is dangerous but also because we want to and this is matthew 5 29 and 30 if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out why for it is better that you lose one of your eyes than that your whole body be thrown into hell we recognize that sin is infectious. And, and so um, in the same way, um, I, I mean, we can do this just to the, the darkest of paths. And so if, if there was a serial child molester, would you want him to teach in Sunday school? Why? It would be a danger to the children. Absolutely not. But Jesus died for everyone. But he doesn't think what he's doing is wrong, or at least needs to be stopped. Well, I got a problem with that because it's going to cause harm to the people that God loves. And so you know what? I, I'm sorry, but you can't be teaching Sunday school. In the same way, sin is infectious in a congregation. Um, look, what we recognize then is when things become normalized, they become common. And if they're dark or dangerous or evil... Well, then, yes, that can ripple through the congregation. Sometimes what we have to say is, ultimately, what you're doing is not just dangerous to you, but it's dangerous to the people around you. And it's not that we want to see you in hell, but we also don't want to see them in hell. And so let's, let's honestly continue to talk. Let's not stop talking. Let's continue to talk. But until we're actually on the same page with this thing, I don't want you to stand before God and say everything's cool when he's saying it's not. I want you ultimately to be brought back to faith. Let's go 1 Timothy 2.4. 1 Timothy 2.4. And then we'll go back to Matthew 18. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Does God want anybody condemned? He wants them to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Those things go hand in hand. And in the same way, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him, and if he repents, you have gained your brother. The point of talking about this thing is to gain your brother, not lose your brother. When we talk about this, this is never to kick people out. But this is a recognition that, that ultimately, um, communion is for sinners. Is it right or is that wrong? Yeah, the healthy have no need of the physician, but the sick. The people who are removed from communion are the ones who... Yeah. Part of that... Part of that needs to be addressed ongoing. Um, but ultimately, though, the, the hope of excommunication. Has Jesus lost a single one? That's the hope. Ultimately, this is saying, I'm not going to be able to argue this necessarily, but God in his mercy will work it. The joy of excommunication is, is the knowledge that God has not lost one yet. And so this isn't saying you're hopeless. This is saying, God, you're going to have to fix this because this is your job to do it. But has he lost a single one? 
And so the joy then of, of the, uh, the binding of sin is not that it should be permanent, but that it should be so that it can be ultimately absolved. Do you guys have questions on this? We kind of ran short of time, so we, we summarized a little bit. But um, it, it's something that we, we do with the utmost caution. Um, but we're, we're not, we're not going to be ashamed of doing it because it it's, goes right hand in hand with the, the forgiving of sins. What we're going to do, though, is every time it has to be employed, recognize that it's for a larger goal of, of gaining your brother, of continuing a conversation, of working towards ultimately mercy and forgiveness. If you want to make it, I'm going to kick out all the sinners. I mean, you got to start with yourself. There's a difference between sin and unbelief. Excommunication is not for sin. It's for unbelief. But by the time there's unbelief, by and large, you've excommunicated yourself. You really have. It's just saying publicly what you're already doing. How would you explain it to a person if they say a lost person? What about the person who openly denies God and wants nothing to do with him? And everything he does is sin against God's command. Mm -hmm. And by human standards, you would judge him as he's going to. So, uh, yeah, that, that's correct. Um, and what we want to do then is make a distinction. There's not, we don't believe in universalism. We don't believe in everybody goes, uh, we don't believe that everyone's saved even if they reject Christ. We believe that Christ will be saved. Those who do not believe will be condemned. And we're not happy about that. But we, we recognize that, the, yeah, those who, who reject Christ are, are, are condemned. Um, but at the same time, even those who are condemned, does God want them God? No, and we've talked about this with election. And ultimately there, we, we speak with the scriptures and then we stop. Because I don't understand it either. God wants nobody condemned. God died for all. There will be people who literally crawl over the dead body of Jesus to get to hell. Because that's how you get there. That's the only way to get there anymore. The only way to get there is to literally reject the, the crucifixion, to crawl over the dead body of Jesus and lock yourself in there. Um, that, that's atrocious. Like, it, it, it's a heartbreak. Um, but, but ultimately, what we come back around to is, is the fact that God in his mercy never stops pursuing even those. Um, even knowing he never stops pursuing um, the elect will be saved, and not a single of the elect will be lost. But we measure the elect in the word and the sacraments, then. That's how Lutherans tend to do it. Are you one of the elect? How do you know it? Baptized. Receiving God's gifts. Believe in faith. I, uh, I, I want nothing to do with God. Well, it doesn't sound like the elect. I mean, and that's not okay. That's not good. But, but we, we start then with the, the understanding that, that if our God hasn't given up, even on those whom he foreknows will be condemned, we shouldn't either. We keep speaking peace. We keep talking about reconciliation. We keep talking about the cross of Christ and the forgiveness of sins. And, and we let God handle it because it's ultimately not ours to do. Um, that's, that's the best part about this. It's, it's not ours to, to make those determinations. It's God's. He does it by the book. And so you can say only God can judge me all you want, but he will, and he's going to use the standards that he gave you. Um, but, I mean, he, he does it according to the cross, that all who believe be saved. That kind of, I know I dodged it a little bit, but you kind of have to. Um, yeah, because it doesn't say. Right. It doesn't say. And, and I'm not going to keep talking where God is silent. That's how we get it wrong every single time. Uh, anybody else? Nope. Right. So excommunication doesn't mean you're not allowed in the walls. It means we want you here to hear the sermon. We want to keep talking with you. It's not that we're done. It means that there's no Lord's Supper until we get this thing figured out. Um, and there's a there's a right that goes along with the 
because um, excommunication is public, um, so should then be the, the reception back in. Um, because everybody should know that this is somebody who's forgiven. Everybody should know that this is somebody who's welcome at God's table. No, this is by no means just sort of we're done with you. Um, we want to continue this conversation in, in every capacity. Um, Can I have a mint? Uh, not right now. I know, but the phone will fall over if you take a mint. Um, and so, yeah, this is this is not a um, we want to get you out and be done with you. This is a we, we want to have a conversation, but we want to do it without pretend. I mean, without talking past each other. We, we want to do it honestly and openly. And if we can't actually sit down and talk, that's probably not a great sign either. Anybody else? All right, we're at time. Uh, shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all for your time.